Ging aus. Judges uh, chapter 10 tonight. Um, good to see y'all here and those who are watching on uh, Facebook. We're continuing our study in the book of Judges and tonight uh, we just got finished dealing with Abimelech and his sin and his death in uh, chapter 9 and tonight we're looking at two other judges but the the bulk of chapter uh, 10 is Israel's apostasy. Remember the pattern um, of Israel in this book in particular. You have the uh, apostasy and then you have um, them worshiping idolatry and God uh, punishing them and then you have them repenting and calling out to the Lord and then you have the restoration. That's the pattern throughout this whole book. So we're going to see that in this chapter, especially beginning uh, with verse 6 uh, through the balance of the chapter. So let's pray before the Lord and ask for illumination. Father, we come to you this evening. Thank you for those who are here and those who are watching online. I pray, Father, that you be with us as we study your word tonight. Lord, we need to hear from you from heaven. And we pray, Father, that you're gracious to us and reveal your truth to us. Reveal to us who you are, your character, and your nature. Help us, Father, to understand your word. Refresh us by your word tonight. And Lord, let us see your heart and what you desire of us. And give us the will to obey you in all we do. And Lord, mostly, may we see Christ revealed in this passage tonight, in the gospel message. In Christ's name, amen. So again, we're looking at uh, chapter 10 as we continue our study in this book. And we're going to do it section by section as we always do. So the first few uh, verses, 1 through 5, just give a summary of two other judges that that rude so it says in verse 1 after Abimelech you know Abimelech had died there arose to save Israel Tola the son of Hua the son of Dodo a man of Issachar and he dwelt in Shamir in the mountains of Ephraim he judged Israel 23 years so we have 23 years and then you have Jair after him arose Jair, a Gileadite, and he judged Israel 22 years. So you add those up, 23 plus 22, so you have 45 years of being ruled by two judges. And he had 31 sons who rode on 30 donkeys. No, I'm sorry, 30 sons who rode on 30 donkeys. 
they also had 30 towns which are called Havoth Jair to this day, which are in the land of Gilead. And Jair died and was buried in Haman. So again, we know little about him just as we do about uh, Tola. And so he was a polygamous man. And this shows because he had, um, was it 31 sons? Okay, so this showed that he was, a, he was a polygamous man and he was a man of wealth and prestige because they rode on uh, donkeys. So that was um, a sign of, of wealth. But he never took the title of king, but, you know, he seemed to act like one. And so we have 45 years of them ruling. And so now we get down to the thick of this chapter. Apostasy. And of course, that apostasy leads to servitude where Israel is going to be oppressed by the enemies. And then they cry out to God in supplication. So it says here, first of all, there's seven... Uh, their apostasy was sevenfold and we will see what that means so this phrase is repeated then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord so this phrase is repeated seven times in the book of Judges seven times so it says here then the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord and what was the evil and served the Baals and Ashtoreths, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the peoples of Ammon, and the gods of the Philistines. And they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. Now, let's do the count. They did evil inside the Lord. They served the Baals. They served the Asherahs, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of Ammon, and the gods of the Philistines. And they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. That's seven types of apostasy. Seven types of apostasy that Israel had committed. Seven. So again, that phrase, as I said, then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. That phrase is repeated again seven times in this book. And this shows that the evil of Israel was even worse because they did it before the eyes of God. And we must understand this. Any evil that we do, God always sees. That is the omniscience of God means he's all knowing. And the omnipresence of God. That God is present everywhere. He is ever present. It reminds me of what David said in Psalm 139. Where David asked rhetorically, where can I go from your spirit? And where can I flee from your presence? A rhetorical question, you know, means that the answer is understood. This is what David says, says in Psalm 139 and 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell or Sheol, 
behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. This shows that is a picture of the omnipresence of God, his 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 ever presence, his all seeing presence. God sees at all times. El Roy is the Hebrew word meaning the God who sees. So God sees our evil. So when this passage says, then Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. Our evil is always present before God. You can't hide it. We could say that it was bad to commit adultery. But it's far more offensive to commit adultery before the eyes of your spouse. That's the way it is with God. And what did they do? So let's look at these seven abominations of these seven uh, foes of this apostasy. Number one, it says they serve the Baals and the Asterisks. The essence of their sin was that they served these gods. They served them. And these are the national gods of the pagans, of these uh, Canaanites. Baal was a national god for the Canaanites, and so was the Ashtoreth. This was very evil to God. It was very egregious to him. So you have seven different ethnic and national gods that are mentioned that Israel went after in idolatry. You have Baal, Ashtoreth, the Syrian God, the Sidonian God, the, Mo the Moabite God, the Ammonite God. And remember, the, the, the Moabites and Ammonites were enemies of Israel. And yet Israel served their gods. Now, to explain here, Baal was the weather god. He was over the weather. Well, the god was. He's the deity of the weather. And he was also associated with financial success. You think about Baal, you think about the false, false prophets. And the Asherah, this is it's the goddess of fertility, and she was associated with love, sex, and romance. As they say, we're just keeping it 100. So the Asherah was the goddess of fertility associated with love, sex, and romance. So you can tell there's all type of sexual perversion and sexual morality going on when you're worshiping Asherah. All types of perversion going on. And the other gods that it talks about was just a matter of conforming to the popular culture and doing what everyone else did. The gods of uh, Syria and Sidon and Moab and Ammon. So basically going along with the culture as 
as people do now. As Christians, we are peculiar people. We are to stand out. Because worshiping the gods of the culture and what's popular in culture does not distinguish us as Christians. If we are being like the world and worshiping the gods of the world, then what makes us different? We, we won't be different. We have to see as Christians that we're not to be like the world. We live before the world as true believers of God, as worshipers of God. We're not to worship the gods of this culture, which are plentiful, the God of self, the God of self-worship, the God of self-love, the God of personal autonomy. I can do whatever I want to do with my body. I can kill my baby, have my baby inside of my womb kill. I can mutilate my body to, to make me, make people believe that I'm of the opposite sex. I can sleep with whomever I want to and be celebrated for it. That's what the gods of this world believe. Their life is about how many likes you get on your social media posts, how many shares you get, how many views you get on videos and reels that you post. That's, that's what the world says you should worship and you should do. But that is idolatry. You want people to, to gaze at you, to look at you as being great. You know, friend, I was looking at a uh, video of a, a local, I will say loosely, uh, say this word exceedingly loosely, a, a local pastor at a church. And I would say that this, this pastor is not a true pastor because biblically a woman cannot be a pastor. But they have a video on their church Facebook page of the, this husband and wife getting out of their vehicles and walking into church as if they're, they're some type of celebrity. The church is more about them than about elevating Christ. Than about the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because that's what the God of this world says. You are who is most important. You are who is most valuable. You are the one who is worthy of worship and the adoration of everyone. That is idolatry. That is paganism. So when we're being like that, we're being like the culture. I tell people jokingly, my wife and I are not part of the cool kids club. We don't, you know, there's nothing wrong with drinking wine. It's not a sin to do that as long as you're not getting drunk but you know we're not invited to the wine tastings and all those things because we choose not to live that way you know we're not in the cool kids club we don't drink alcohol we don't we don't smoke cigars or any other type of uh, drugs we're not invited to those types of, of, of things but you know what I'm fine with that because I don't want to be like the world that don't mean that we don't go out and have a good time. We'll go to balls and everything. We're invited to one. We went to one uh, early this month down at the city meeting center. Got all dressed up and everything and enjoying the, the good music and dancing and all this stuff. We participate in stuff like that. 
But as far as acquiescing to what the world sees as great, we don't do that. Because we have to understand the world hates God. The world hates the Lord Jesus Christ. The world doesn't honor Jesus Christ as both Lord and Savior. They just say that Jesus was a good teacher, that he was a good man, that he said a few good sayings, that he fed the poor and clothed the naked, that Jesus was some social justice warrior and not the God-man who came and died as our substitute and rose from the dead and proclaimed repentance because that's not what the world wants. That's not the Jesus that the world wants to hear. So looking here at Israel, they served all these gods of that pagan culture. Israel's worship of these neighboring gods of, of the Sidonians, of the Moabites, of the Syrians, of the Ammonites, and of the Philistines, it reminds us that the people of God are often in danger of worshiping what the world worships. We are in danger of worshiping self. We are in danger of making church be about us and our desires and what we want to see in church. The songs we want to uh, hear. The type of preaching we like. We're in danger of worshiping what the world worships. And this is what led Israel to apostasy. They, they were worshiping what the pagans were worshiping. When First Peter here tells us. First Peter 2. This is what Peter says for us as believers. Verse 9. Well, let me read the context here. About God's chosen people. First Peter 2 begin, beginning at verse 4 says this. Coming to him. Speaking of Christ. As to a living stone. Rejected indeed by men. But chosen by God and precious. So who was Christ rejected by men. By man. By the world. He says you also as living stones. Are being built up a spiritual house. Not a worldly house. But a spiritual house. A holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Worldliness is not acceptable to God. Paganism, worshiping the false gods of this world, is not acceptable to God. Peter continues, 1 Peter 2 and 6. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. Christ is precious to us who believe in him. Christ is not precious to the world. He may be well regarded as a good teacher, but we know Jesus was more than a good teacher. He was God in the flesh. He said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Jesus came and preached repentance to all. His very first words were, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, Mark, Mark's gospel says uh, that Christ said repent and, and believe the gospel. This is the Jesus we hold precious. He's precious because he, he lived a sinless life. He died a substitutionary death. 
And he rose on the third day. And he's ascended to heaven the way he's seated at the right hand of the Father. That's why we hold Christ as precious because he is both Lord and Savior. He is our Redeemer. He purchased our salvation. He paid the penalty. He bore our sins on the cross and the penalty of our sins on the cross. We hold him as precious. The world doesn't hold Christ as precious. So Peter says, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, that means those who don't believe. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Christ is a rock of offense to unbelievers. They stumble over him. They don't want to believe in him. They love their sins. They love their idolatry. They love their self-worship. They want themselves. When Jesus says, if anyone comes after me, he must first deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. They don't want to take up their cross. Peter continues. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. But you... Who are the you? You have to go back to the very first verse of 1 Peter. As I always say, when you read the, the church letters, always know who the audience is. He's writing to the pilgrims. He's writing to the elect, those who are in Christ. So he's talking to believers. He's not talking to everybody. So he says, but you, Christian... You, saint, are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Priesthood meaning that we have the same access to God. We are united with the royal priest who is Jesus Christ. All of us have this rule. All of us are priests. All of us have access to God. So he says we are a chosen generation. We're a royal priesthood. We are his own special people. I know the King James says a peculiar people. Peculiar means strange, special, different. We stick out. That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness. What darkness? The darkness of paganism. The darkness of the world the world's ideologies the world's philosophies the world's wisdom which is no wisdom at all which is Buddhists. he brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light who were once who once were not a people but are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy this is how we are as believers So we can fall into danger worshiping what the world worships instead of sticking out as what? A peculiar people. So what else did they do? They forsook the Lord and did not serve him. So they served the Baal and the Asherahs and they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. Now they may not have consciously forsake God but adding the worship of pagan gods to the worship in the, of the true God was to forsake the Lord. You cannot worship God and worship pagans at the same time. Or paganism at the same time. That's, that's called syncretism. You cannot do that. When you do that, you're forsaking God. Because guess what? God alone is worthy of worship. 
he alone. Exodus 20, 10 commandments. The very first one, God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. If you worship another God, uh, call yourself worshiping another God, you, you have these people who call themselves Christians and worship astrology. They believe in all this zodiac nonsense. It's Capricorn season. It's, it's Libra season and, 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 and all that mess. Worshiping the moon. Reading crystals and all this stuff. And yet they call themselves Christian. No, they're not. They're pagans. They're forsaking God. So, again. To add the worship of pagan gods to the worship of the true God. Is to forsake God. This is what God says in, in Ten Commandments. Exodus 20 and 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Out of the house of bondage. You should have no other gods before me. That's the very first commandment. Very first. God is the only one who is worthy of worship. And when I'm speaking of God, I'm speaking of the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The triune God. Not just any type of God that people call God. You have to be, I always say that. You have to be careful when people say, yeah, I worship God. Are they worshiping the true God? The God of the Bible. It seems that Israel was was, uh, were, uh, you know, they they were wor more willing to worship just about anything except the true God. I always remember this, people. This is as true as I'm standing here in front of you. This is a. You know, Paul says the trustworthy saying and worthy of all acceptation. This is a trustworthy saying. And this is as true as the sky is blue. When a person stops believing in God, when they forsake God, they do not believe in nothing. They believe in anything. It's either God or everything else. When you start worshiping God, all bets are off. You're liable to worship anything. You're liable to worship nature as people do. Worship crystals. Worship zodiac signs. Worship yourself. Worship sex. Worship money. Worship power. Worship drugs. Do you know that drug abuse is worship? Because you're looking for your salvation in those drugs. Alcohol. Abusing alcohol. Being enslaved to alcohol is worship. Being enslaved to food is worship. Being enslaved to relationships is worship. Some people worship relationships. They go from one to the next, to the next, to the next. Instead of getting married and settling down with one person. They always had to be in a relationship like Taylor Swift. You know how many boyfriends she's had? About 13 or 14. She's a serial adulterer. She's... She's, she's the W word that I don't want to say. 
Why? Because she worships relationships. She worships herself. And her fans worship her. When you forsake God, you're going to worship anything. You're going to believe in anything. People worship, of course, celebrities. And they idolize them. And you know how you can tell? Say something bad about them. Say something bad about Beyonce. And guess who's going to come after you? The beehive. That's what her fans are called. Or the bayhive. Criticize Taylor Swift. The Swifties are going to come down on you. Just think about that. They're, they're so famous that their fans have a name as a group. That is idolatry. Like Christians, we worship Christ and Christ alone as Lord and Savior. Swifties worship Taylor Swift. The Beehive worships Beyonce. The Barbs worship Nicki Minaj. All of these idols, their worshipers have names. When you don't worship God, you're going to worship anything. You don't worship nothing. So what happened as a result? Verse 7. So the anger of the Lord was hot. I love that word. Hot. Against Israel. And he sold them into the hands of the Philistines. And into the hands of the people of Ammon. And from that year they harassed. And oppressed the children of Israel. For 18 years years all the children of Israel who were on the other side of the Jordan in the land of the Amorites in Gilead moreover the people of Ammon crossed over the Jordan to fight against Judah also against Benjamin and against the house of Ephraim and so Israel was severely distressed so guess what he sold them into the hands of the Philistines and hands of the people of Ammon. Remember, Israel was serving their gods. So if Israel wanted to serve the gods of the Philistines and the Amorites, guess what? God would allow them to do so. This is an important biblical principle. God will give you over to your rebellion as a punishment. He will give you over to it. You want to worship. These other gods. You want to set these other people up as gods. Guess what? God will give you over to them. He'll give you exactly what you want. As a punishment to you. And that's what he did with Israel. God was angry at his people. His covenant people. He sold them into the hands. He allowed them in the fullest sense by selling them into the servitude of the Philistines and the Amorites. God will give you over to your sin and rebellion. Because this is something else about idolatry and pagan worship that you must always remember. Idols always let down their worshipers. Always. Idols will always let down their worshipers. 
idols will always disappoint their worshipers. When you worship man, when you worship created things, guess what? They're going to let you down because they won't be able to come through for you like you think. They can't save you. They can't redeem you. They can't forgive you of your sins. Worshiping them will not make you right with God. It just won't happen. Idols always disappoint their worshipers. So what did God do? He gave them over to. Hey, you want to worship their gods? Here you go. And that's what he did. And that's what he does. Hey, if we, want, if we want to go all into worshiping all these people, worshiping social media, worshiping crystals, reading crystals, and all this other nonsense, hey, guess what? God will give you over to that. And you'll be sorely disappointed. You realize, man, nothing, nothing can save me but God. No one can save me but the Lord. This is what God told Israel in the book of Isaiah. This is what, uh, Isaiah spoke to Israel. This is what the Lord said through him. Those who make an image, all of them are useless. And their precious things shall not profit. They're useless. And then God goes on to describe them building this idol. Then it shall be for a man to burn, for he will take some of it and warm himself. This is what happens to their the idol. They spent all this time building it only for it to be building it all for it to be burned. He says, and the rest of it. He makes it to a God, his carved image. He falls down before it and worships it, prays to it and says, deliver me for you are my God. They do not know nor understand, for he has shut their eyes so that they cannot see and their hearts so that they cannot understand. And no one considers in his heart, nor is there knowledge, nor understanding to say, I have burned half of it in the fire. Yes. I have also baked bread on its coals. I have roasted meat and eaten it. And shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? Because that's all it is. It's nothing. It's nothing. Our idols are nothing. And Israel didn't learn this lesson. So God gave them over. And what happened? They were harassed and oppressed. It says from that year they were harassed and oppressed. They, they, they rather harassed and oppressed the children of Israel for 18 long years. Israel was never blessed when they served these other gods. It said they were harassed and they were oppressed. And they were severely distressed. But guess what? God gave them what they wanted. When we turn from serving the living God, 
He gives us exactly what we want. But guess what? We're going to be miserable. I'm going to tell you like this, and I say this all the time. I don't care what kind of picture people paint on social media. If they're not worshiping God, they're in misery. They want you to think they're doing well. They can take the family pictures. They can post the positive good vibes only posts. They can take the selfies where they got their face all made up and and got all the filters and everything and post the social media. They can post all the positive posts on, on their page if they want to, but guess what? They are in misery. Make no mistake about it. The one who is the sinner who's rebelling against God, they can't be at peace because they're not at peace with God through Jesus Christ. They're looking for peace. They're searching for it, but they will never have it. They will never attain to it without Christ. I preached about that this past Sunday. They're severely distressed. So after 18 years, what does Israel do? Verse 10. The children of Israel cried out to the Lord saying, we have sinned against you because we have both forsaken our God and served the Baals. So the Lord said to the children of Israel, <laughs> look at this. Did I not deliver you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites and from the people of Ammon and from the Philistines, also the Sidonians and the Amalekites and the Mionites oppressed you and you cried out to me and I destroyed you from their land yet you have forsaken me and served other gods therefore I will deliver you no more go and cry out to those gods which you have chosen let them deliver you in time of distress oh man this is so great because this is what happens we we look to these false gods of our culture to save us and guess what they can't We look to social media to save us, to be our savior. We download all these apps on our, on our phone to, to, to save us from that misery that, that, that lies within us, that just eats us alive. Well, we, we believe the lie that we need to love ourselves and, and, and worship ourselves, and, and, and we're still in misery. Although we're loving ourselves to death. Although we filter all of our pictures to wipe out all the blemishes, we're still distressed. We get 500 comments on our happy birthday to me post. And then you get another 80 the next day when you say thank you for all the birthday wishes. And you get 80 more comments saying happy birthday. And guess what? You're still going to be miserable. Why? Because you forsook the Lord. Israel admitted they sinned against God. God's response seemed to indicate that he saw something lacking in their repentance. There's such thing as false repentance. Paul talks about godly sorrow versus worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow does not work for, toward repentance, but godly sorrow does (laughs) 
People can be sorry for something but not be repentant. Because repentance, in essence, means a turning away from. You want to turn away from your sin and turn to worshiping the living God. Obviously, God, who knows our hearts better than anyone? God. Obviously, God saw that something was lacking in their repentance. One may cry out to the Lord, and yet, really just wishes things were different. Some people cry out to the Lord because they are suffering what? The consequences. They want to be delivered from the consequences of their sin or the consequences of their action, but they don't want to really turn and worship God. They just don't like the consequences. Oh, they'll cry out to the Lord. Crying out to God with the voice is not necessarily the same as crying out to him with our heart. It's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. What God wanted from Israel was the same thing he wants from us. He wants a heart that will put its hand to the plow and not look back. That's what he wants from us. He wants us to come to the place where we know that there's nothing worth following or no one worth following except him. That's when you know that you're repentant. That Lord who have I in heaven besides you. That's the heart of repentance. So God says therefore I will not deliver you no more. He was harsh with Israel because they had been genuinely sick. Rather yeah, they had been genuinely sick of their sin. I'm sorry. They had to be genuinely sick of their sin first. They weren't genuinely sick of it. The only way a person genuinely turns to God is if they're genuinely sick of their sin. Some people are not sick of their sin genuinely. They just want deliverance again from the consequences of the, the misery that it's causing, but they're not genuinely sick of their sin. That's what repentance looks like. You, you are, Lord, I hate this sin. I don't like it. I don't like being enslaved by it. Lord, help me. Lord, deliver me. I am sick of this. I am sick of dishonoring you. I am sick of disobeying you. That's how a genuine heart looks. When you commit it, you're just sick of it. Israel didn't do that. But again, you have to be genuinely sick of your sin before you are genuinely turning to God. But God allowed Israel to experience the sickness of their sin. One theologian said, for the first time it is recorded that God refused to save them, reminding them of how repeatedly he had delivered them. Because he said that. And yet they had turned back to their evil courses. But one thing to remember is this. This, is, this was still an act of love because this apparent rejection was designed to test the sincerity of their response. If God rejects you once, guess what? You keep coming to him. 
You keep coming to him. Do you know that some people used to do this with people who uh, were uh, had a cigarette smoking addiction? Their one technique was to put a person in a small room with no ventilation at all and just make them smoke for hours on end until they can hardly bear it and it makes them sick of smoking it makes them truly want to stop sometimes that can work In the same way, sometimes God will allow the natural consequences of our sin to crash upon us so that we can become sick of our sin. Again, like I said earlier, a lot of people want to be delivered from the consequences of the sin, but sometimes it's the consequences that can lead you to see yourself. Think about the, the prodigal son. He took his inheritance and he went out he parted it away and he squandered it and he ended up living in the pigsty. <laughs> and he said he had it better in his father's house than he does here. So the scripture says that he came to himself. Now this doesn't mean, I always talk about this, this is not like the myth of hitting rock bottom because that's not what this is. Some people hit rock bottom and still go even lower. It's about seeing the sickness of your sin. If it's drug usage, you're seeing the sickness of abusing your body like that. And you turn to God. Now the thing is, God told them, you chose these gods. He says, go and cry out to those gods which you have chosen. Let them deliver you. You weren't forced to worship these gods by your oppressors. You freely chose to worship them. So what do we have that happens next? So Israel said to the Lord, children of Israel said to the Lord, verse 15, we have sinned. Do to us whatever seems best to you. Only deliver us this day, we pray. So they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord. And his soul could no longer endure the misery of Israel. Oh man, this shows the compassionate heart of God. You know, I talk about this all the time. People that don't read the Bible say, Oh, the God of the Old Testament was a merciless God. He was a God of anger and he was murderous and he killed his own people and he killed all these no look God has a heart of mercy to those who turn to him and say Lord I have sinned against you I repent I put away these gods and I turn to worship you don't you know God will receive you they said do to us whatever seems best to you this indicates that Israel came to a place of total, total surrender to God. Lord, whatever it is, no matter how hard it is, do to us what seems best to who? To you, not to us. 
this prayer that comes most naturally to us should be the same Lord do to me whatever seems best to me that's what we say but we should say Lord do whatever seems best to you because in our self-saturated culture we want to say Lord do what's best for me So this season of affliction that Israel had of 18 years apparently affected them in a good way. So what did they do? They put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord. So they finally discovered that the worst of serving God is better than the best of serving idols. And I love that last phrase, his soul can no longer endure the misery of Israel. Man, that is, that is so good. God looked upon disobedient Israel with compassion, not hatred. God did not want his people to stay in that misery, though it was best for them. Like a perfect loving parent, God hated to see Israel suffer, even when it was good for them. God grieves for the miseries to which we are reduced to by our own sins. God grieves over that. It grieves God's heart when his people are in misery because of their own sins. That's great compassionate love that God has for us. That's why God sent his son. That's why God visited this world in the person of Jesus Christ and redeemed a lost world because he had compassion on us. We could not save ourselves. God does grieve. If people will only forsake their sins and turn to God, guess what? He will help them. He will redeem them. But many people don't want to do that. So the last two verses says Israel gathers. Then the people of Ammon gathered together and encamped in Gilead. And the children of Israel assembled together and encamped at Mizpah. And the people, the leaders of Gilead, said to one another, Who is the man who will begin the fight against the people of Ammon? He shall be head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. So the Ammonites had gathered, you know, as an army to threaten Israel. Israel had no leader and we're going to see who that is in the next chapter but that main point I want to leave with is the compassionate heart of God that even when we stray God is still there to rein us back in yes he will chastise us just as he did Israel But anyone who calls out to God and says, Lord, I have sinned. Do what seems best to you. Only deliver me, I pray. That is the heart of Christ. Christ saves all who come to him and humble themselves and say, Lord, I have sinned against you. I have sinned against heaven I plead for you to save me and guess what he is so gracious 
to do that. And that's what we see with this chapter. Let us pray as we close. Father, we thank you that we see your mercy in this passage. Lord, we also see ourselves that we are prone to wonder. We are prone to apostatize. We are prone to forget about you, to not worship you. Lord, help us to be faithful in worshiping you. To not follow after the false gods of our culture. But to follow after you. And to worship you. Because Lord we know that the opposite is misery. We know that the opposite is distress. And Father forgive us for the times where we've gone after the gods of this world. Where we've committed to the worship of self. And not worshiping you as the one true God. Lord, thank you for this study tonight. And those who are watching it here in this assembly and those who are watching it online. Lord, may you use this message to encourage the faithful and lead sinners to repentance. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.